0: Of the following special program, WKRP in Cincinnati and Lou Grant will not be presented this evening. Both comedies will return next Sunday at the regular times on most of these stations. Tonight's special presentation is brought to you in part by Hardee's. We're out to win you over. And by Chlorox, the makers of Tilex Tile Cleaner. Prepare yourself for an in-depth examination of something mundane from I.C. Robots' day-to-day existence. Welcome to This Boring Life. Hey kids, it is me, I.C. Robots, and we are back for another exciting episode of This Boring Life where we take we take a look at I.C. Robots' origin story one, one topic at a time. And this time the topic we are going to dive into is... Places I used to go to that are no longer there or lost places. I haven't I haven't decided fully what the what the official title is, but that's that's the basic idea. I did not get born in Santa Rosa, but I have been in Santa Rosa, California for geez, at least thirty thirty plus years, so I I definitely consider it to be my home and as a matter of fact, I still live in the neighborhood that I was that I was brought up in, that I grew up in. I live on live on the same street. I live around all the same things. So when I need a dose of nostalgia, there are a lot of places that I can go to that are almost exactly the same as when I was a youth. There is there's a hamburger joint down the street in the shopping center. I can go there. Just the general shopping center, the the round table pizza has been there my entire life. It's now an Oliver's grocery store, kind of like a high-end fruity snooty uh, sort of grocery store, but it's always been a grocery store, so even that environment still gives me nostalgia. The same the same tavern is there, the the same donut shop run by the same people is still there. So When I need a dose of nostalgia, I really don't have to, I don't have to get very far. The park is the same as the park when I was, when I was, uh, you know, at the park hanging out, but there are a lot of places around Santa Rosa and Sonoma County that were really important to growing up that are no longer, they're no longer with us. And I, I pine for these places. I do. There, there are just places that are gone that were just so integral to my day-to-day existence, to my week-to-week existence, that I I just, I pine. I pine for their, I pine for their, their just being there. And over the course of this episode, I'm going to take a look at five of the most important ones. And hopefully, hopefully by talking about it a bit, it'll help me, you know, kind of get over, over the loss. But you know how it is when there's a place that you go every day, every week, even every month, that all of a sudden just just up and vanishes, it's a loss, it's like, it's like losing a person, in a lot of ways, it's like losing something that, that you know you'll never get back, and as much as you want to, it's still, still never going to return, so, let's, uh, let's dig into this, let's get started, let's get cooking, let's put the pot on the pan, and turn up the heat, this is the first one here, I got a commercial, for this place. On an old tape of mine, I found this, and, uh, let's, um, let's start that and, you know, get going with the shoot. There's a little bit of the artist in all of us, and all of the scrumptious variety at North's Chuck Wagon allows you to really express yourself. Chuck Wagon, a terrific meal, beverage and dessert for one incredible price. Come to North's Chuck Wagon and create a classic. My family used to go to JJ North's Chuck Wagon like all the time. It was seemingly every week or every other week. JJ North's was it was a chain of buffet restaurants. It was a very typical, very family-style buffet. It was kind of gimmick where you would grab a tray, you know, you have a tray and you put the plate that you want on the tray and then you get like a smaller plate for your salad and then you would grab your knife, your fork, your napkin, put them on the other side and start going, going down down the row, you know, you'd slide your tray across like this, uh, you know, this metal kind of deal and the first stop that you would go to would be the salad bar and I, I love a salad bar, like an old school salad bar, like the one they have down at the at the Roundtable Pizza, I always think to myself, salad bar is fun, right? They have the pizza, and then they also have the salad bar over at Roundtable, and why don't you ever just, like, dip into a place to eat at the salad bar? I've never done that. I don't know if anybody ever does, but I think it's, like, $6.99 for unlimited salad. You could have, like, two or three plates of, you know, lettuce and such, and you'll be pretty full, and also, you'll be doing yourself a favor. You know, you'll uh, be getting the necessary fiber to keep everything moving, but... At any rate, um, over at the at the Chuckwagon, you would start with you know with the salad bar, of course, and you had your lettuce, like your big bowl of lettuce, and then they would have like you know a smaller bowl of like the other kind of more fancy lettuce or like spinach or whatever, and you grab whatever you want of that, and you push it down, and they have like round, you know, cylindrical containers with different sort of salad toppings: cucumbers, mushrooms, olives, all sorts of tomatoes, and just. Anything you can think of that would go on a typical American-style salad, and then then you get toward the end of the, the salad area, they would have, you know, smaller containers with, like, raisins or, like, little like pine nuts or uh, cheese. They always had cheese at the end. You know, you put, like, a small dab of cheese on top of your salad and bacon bits. I I'm in love with bacon bits. I would always end up putting, like, two or three spoonfuls of bacon bits on there, and then... After you go past the salad... I'm trying to do this... I'm trying to, like, envision it right now. I'm pretending that I'm... I'm pushing a cart along. And I believe... After that, you hit the... The sort of, like... What is it called? Potato salad and macaroni salad and ambrosia salad. And, like... The various, like, tuna salads and stuff that you might... Put on the side of your... Of your, uh, salad plate. And then... That kind of ends the salad area. And you move into the... Like the side dishes. There's, you know, like French fries and tater tots, mashed potatoes with gravy, peas, corn, all sorts of that kind of sort of coleslaw, ordinary, ordinary kind of side dishes you would get, like frozen vegetable type stuff. And, you know, this is when you get like your fries and your tater tots. And then as you scooch past there, you move into the, like the entree area. And... We tended to go on Friday, which was, like, fried fish night. They would have, like, fish planks and, you know, the small fried shrimps that you, you know, eat by the handful. And as well as other things, you know, fried chicken was, of course, a staple. Um, Macaroni and cheese with, like, crumble crust on top and Salisbury steaks. All sorts of, all sorts of stuff of that sort. And then... After you move past that, you get into, they have, like, a uh, sliced beet area where the dude can, like, break you off, like, a like a slice of ham or, like, a slice of beef, and you'd be like, uh, let me get that extra thin or let me get that thick, and he would you know, kind of go through it. It was, always like, you know, like a 15-year-old kid, but he would be, like, slicing as the meat, and you would get, um, you know, like a nice, moist piece of beef slapped on top of your, uh, your fried shrimp and fr- french fries, and... That was always nice to get the beef juice. And then once you go past there, you know, you were, you're pretty much done with the warm food portion and then they would have like a drink bar. This was one of the first places I was ever exposed to where you could pour your own soft drinks. You'd get like a, like a plastic tumbler. They had red plastic tumblers, like a, like a pizza hut. And you would, you know, first you'd get your ice and being like a typical youth of that day, you would make yourself like a suicide where you would, uh, like put every single soda together, like pss, 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 all the way through, and it, you know what? It was all just sweet anyway, so no matter what you did, it still tasted alright and it was still fun, and at that point, you were, you know, you're ready to go, you're ready to, like, eat I'm just, I'm thinking about the, the area where the, the glasses came out of the tumblers, it just kind of it kind of popped into my head. The tumblers were in, you know, these big plastic cases, the kind where, you know, they load them in for the dishwasher, like dishwasher, uh, you know, shelves and whatever. So they would be the main one on the top, but then underneath there would be like three or four or five things of, you know, already cleaned glasses ready to go. And it'd be kind of spring loaded. So when you would get your, your tumbler out, the thing would kind of bounce up and down a little bit. That was always fun. You'd like give it a shove and it would bounce down and then kind of come up and bounce down and kind of come up but that was that just popped into my head i can really i can see it now the whole like the countertop was you know like chromed like chromed out and they had all the cool sodas and that was just a fun mixing soda at the time because you didn't get to do that it wasn't like nowadays where everywhere you go you have one of those like coca-cola freestyle machines and you have to you have to make your own drink, it was sort of a privilege at the time to, like, actually get to touch the machine, and also, you didn't get, like, free refills anywhere, like you do nowadays everywhere, so just, like, having the opportunity to go back again and again and again to get more sodas was, that was, like, an unheard of, like, an unheard of thing for the time, so, after you got your drink and you got your food, you'd have to go find the table. And we always came in, like, a pretty large group it would be me, my brother, my mom, my dad. And then this was the time we would meet up with, like, my grandmother and my aunt and my cousin and my uncle and my other cousin. When we would go there, it was always, like, a giant group. And they had the one main room where everybody would kind of be and then there was also like a side room where you could like reserve it for like a private like a private buffet party like a kid's birthday party at jj north's buffet so i don't think that i ever saw that happen but it might have been fun i would imagine they have some sort of a cowboy mascot like jj north would come out and he would be like in a recycled uh yosemite sam mascot outfit like they would they would remove the mustache, so he appeared like a different guy, and they'd put, like, JJ on his hat, and he would come to your birthday party. I don't think that's real. I think... I think I just made that up. But that room was our normal spot, because they had, like, longer tables, and we had... We had a giant group. It was also a bit more private. It seemed as if you were really, like, off, away from everybody else, and it was kind of, a like, a further slog to get back to, to the buffet, but... That was where that was where we frequently wound up um, it was just like a real family a family style restaurant you know one of those places where families would go because everything was affordable it wasn't like the most expensive deal I remember thinking it was like 899 or 999 which does you know it comes out to be like 40 50 bucks for a family but at the same time you can eat like a ton of food. You can eat enough food so that when you wake up in the next morning, you're not hungry and you don't have to eat breakfast. I don't know if I ever did that. I did... I did gorge myself, though. I was... I was a pretty gorgy dude when we would go to the chuck wagon. I would just... I was a shrimp guy, though. Small shrimps. I would... I would cover, like, half my plate with shrimp when we would go. I remember I was, like, a real salad connoisseur. I would... Put my my salad together with just like the most extreme care, like the, the right amount of uh, bacon bits, the right amount of little nuts, the right amount of cheese. With I don't know why at the time I was like a blue cheese dressing guy. I would I would put it all over the top. Nowadays I kind of I go for ranch. I'm pretty basic in that sense. I'll I'll dribble uh, a bit of ranch, but I will also go for like, you know, a, uh, like an oil and vinegar kind of thing if it's available and, and it looks good. I was, I was really into blue cheese dressing at the time. I don't know what was up with that because when I try it now, the taste is really strong and bitter and I just, I'm not into it. Maybe I'll, I'll give it another shot though. We're, we're going to go shopping tonight, I think. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll grab a uh, thing of blue cheese here. Well, I, well, I'm on the topic of salad dressing because I don't, I don't know how many times I'm going to, I'm going to get back to this. Do you remember those packets of salad dressing? I think they still sell them. They were like a packet of ranch, and you would mix it with water and, like, uh, you know, swirl it around and mix it all together, and you would be be left with, like, this thing of ranch dressing. What was the name of the company that made those? We're going to... We're going to go online really quick, and we are, are going to see who made the packet of ranch. I wonder why i'm thinking of this at all ranch dressing mix packet of ranch dressing mix was it was produced by hidden valley ranch wonderful place hidden valley just what you'd expect for the home of hidden valley ranch salad dressing Folks here are proud of our original ranch recipe, the secrets in the special blend of herbs and spices. And everyone loves that creamy homemade taste. So the lady in this commercial would be outdoors at her at her beautiful ranch in the Hidden Valley. She would have like a big picnic table and it was set up with, you know, a tablecloth. It was beautiful, like a red, red checkered, you know, tablecloth. And she would have the Hidden Valley Ranch packet She would poured in and mix it up in the bowl and, you know, toss this gorgeous salad with all these beautiful, you know, tomatoes and onions and whatever, whatever else she had in it. And then as, you know, she, she combined it together with the ranch, everybody would converge together and just, you know, eat this delightful salad in ecstasy. I always wanted to recreate that at my house. I was a mark for doing that. I wanted to, I wanted to recreate commercials. A lot of the times I would like to see if, what was going on in there was something that I could also do in real life. So week in and week out, when we would go shopping at Lucky's, I would beg for the Hidden Valley Ranch packet, and my mom, knowing it was silly, wouldn't go for it. But then finally one week, she relented, and I, I made a salad. I remember putting potatoes in it, sliced potatoes. I just grabbed any vegetable I could find, and I put it together, and I made a salad. And then I I brought out the Hidden Valley Ranch, and I put it in the bowl in the water, and I mixed it up, and I... I I waited till dinner time and I brought it out and I expected that everybody was going to just grab a hold of this and together they would, you know, see the power of the Hidden Valley Ranch, but they weren't so much salad people. Uh, That's why we didn't have salad regularly at dinner. They just didn't go for it. And I think that, I think that they preferred Thousand Island is what I recall my dad being into. I wonder, I wonder if the Hidden Valley was in the Thousand Islands. That might make sense, but I don't think that that was the case. I don't even, I don't even remember where I was as far as JJ North's chuck wagon. I think that maybe I was talking about gorging myself on on teeny tiny shrimp. I would gorge myself on those shrimp. I wish, I wish we had like a shrimp buffet now with those just really low quality fried shrimp. I can eat those all day. I wish when I went to the movies, I could order a big bag of uh, popcorn shrimp and I would just eat those with cocktail sauce. You have to have your cocktail sauce. I'm, I'm overjoyed even thinking of it. And they had, you know, fish planks on fish night. And I would slop a couple of those on top of there, too, with, uh, like, giant dollops of tartar sauce. They had, like, you know, an ice cream scooper, like a small, like a melon baller. (laughs) I would, you know, scoop little melon balls of tartar sauce. And then once you would get through all of, you know, your food, I would go through twice. I'd usually get, like, two salads. I liked making the salad, and I would do that a couple times. And then once you were done with that I would well anybody would not just me I'm not saying I came up with this idea because I definitely didn't you would go and you would get yourself dessert they had a self-serve soft serve bar with the you know the soft soft kind of ice cream it was great and they had all sorts of toppings just anything that the heart could want you know sprinkles M&M's Reese's Pieces gummy bears and also the toppings there was like chocolate topping strawberry topping and caramel topping and they even had They even had a peanut butter topping, which I had not seen at that time. But even to this day, I love nothing more than like a peanut butter Reese's peanut butter topping on my ice cream. I am I am a peanut butter maniac. I love peanut butter so much. I eat it by the spoonful just when I need, you know, just like a little emotional pick me up. I'll have a uh, spoonful of peanut butter. You can't beat it. Peanut butter is the best. They also had like cakes, cakes and pies. There was a separate station with all sorts of pies, the typical cherry pie, apple pie, pecan pie, anything of that sort, chocolate cakes, white cakes, brownies. What a lot of people were inclined to do is like get a piece of cake or get a brownie and then take it over to the to the ice cream bar, and, you know, combine it together for a bit of a pie a la mode, or a brownie a la mode. I, myself, I don't go for that much. I do enjoy eating apple pie or cherry pie with ice cream, but I kind of prefer the ice cream on the side. I don't, I don't know, it's kind of hard to get it off the top when you're, when you're pushing into the ice cream. Now, this goes just kind of for, like, home ice cream. It's kind of hard to push through the scoop into the ice cream, so I think that it goes better on the side and as it kind of starts to melt the the creamy ice cream and the pie filling go together so well just a just a true treat. I I miss this place so much. There is a Starbucks there now, believe it or not. How how typical is Starbucks and a mattress place and also a a small bank across the way. The lot has been split up into a bunch of things and Whenever we go by there, I I think back to the the Chuck Wagon. And my wife, the old wife does as well. Her family came from, they lived on the other side of town. And they would come all the way for the Chuck Wagon. It was a fun place at a fun price. And I miss it. I miss it a lot. The last time I remember going there, I was hanging out at this apartment complex. I was a bit older. I'm thinking maybe, maybe in my late teens... And I was hanging out with this guy, Mike, and his brother, Chris, who I, I don't see Chris anymore. We were good friends for a while in high school, but I believe he doesn't live in Santa Rosa anymore, but he may. We haven't seen each other in a while. And Mike, Mike passed away a few years after that. So I haven't, I haven't seen him either. I, I miss that guy, Mike. He was a really, really good guy with a really kind heart. And we spent a lot of time over at his apartment hanging out. He was one of the few dudes I knew who had his own apartment. His brother was like the maintenance guy for the complex. And in doing that, he got a free apartment and he let Mike move out. Mike was a bit younger than us. He was still in school, but he was a really, really great guy. And one day we were hanging out over at the apartment, me, him, his brother, and like another guy. And we got a phone call. He got a phone call. From a girl that he knew who worked at the Chuck Wagon. And she was like, the the manager's out. If you guys want to come down, I'll let you in. So we went down and she let us in. And we just ate so much. And it was such a nice time. I hadn't been there. My family quit going there for for whatever reason, as people do. And I hadn't been in many, many years. But I would still go by and I would see it and think how it might be fun to go. But I just never did. And then when she called, gave us the opportunity and I can still recall my last visit just so, so clearly, like all of us just sitting there in the booth and eating just so much food and drinking so many sodas and laughing and having a good time and it wasn't, it wasn't so long after that that they shut down. As I understand it, the entire chain shut down. They were like a chain that also had uh, people getting like affiliate stores or what do you call that when you when you buy into a chain, I, I can't recall, but people would buy into it and they would open their own. And there are, as I understand it, a couple, like independently owned ones that are still out there. But the the bigger chain, Norths, no longer has buffets, and that's, that's a bit sad. But time marches on for all of us. Let's uh, let's let's dig back into the VHS vault and see what we can find about the about the next place that I'm going to lament the closing of. That you heard right there was the sound that you would hear before the start of every movie at the United Artists Cinema during my time there as an usher and as a as a member of the Broomtang Clan. Now, at one time, we had three United Artists Cinemas in Santa Rosa and one in Ronard Park, which is the next town over if you're heading out towards San Francisco. And they are they are all gone the way of the ghost, but two of them are still... The buildings are still there. United Artists... Okay, here's our... Here is the rundown. We had United Artists Cinema 6. That is where me and Gino Vega worked as the Broomtang Clan. And then there was United Artists Cinema 5, which is where the old wife worked. And then there was Empire, which was over in Rohnert Park, where nobody I knew worked. And then the other one was Cottingtown Town Cinema. And Cottingtown Cinema is the one... That we are going to talk about today because while they are all gone, if I want to, I could still go to the sites. UA6 is currently the $3 theater and I go there all the time. UA5 is now a church. And if I so if I so chose, I could attend a service there and I could go inside of UA5 and get that feeling all over again. And Empire. I believe is a uh, veterinary office now. I think that it's like a big vet hospital, and if I wanted to, I can still go there and I can see the facade facade of Empire. I see it all the time when we're when we're driving away, but the Cottingtown Cinema is it is sort of still there in a way, but it is not the same. Let let me explain. It is over in the Cottingtown Mall. We have two malls in town. We have the Santa Rosa Plaza, which is downtown, and the Cottingtown Mall is over on, on the other side of town. The Cottingtown Mall is named for this local industrialist, Yu Cotting. And the mall is famous for this big spinning sign that says Cotting. And it's been, it's been controversial over the years because it points the, the city council wants to make it so that the sign can't spin. And then you Cotting will always sue and he wins. And then the sign starts to spin again. This has been going on since like my whole time here in Santa Rosa. I believe right now the sign is spinning. I think presently it's spinning, but up until the recent past it was it was not spinning. Anyway, the, the Cottingtown Cinema is over in the Cottingtown Mall, or rather it was next to the Cottingtown Mall. It wasn't it wasn't connected and the building now houses a Joanne's fabric, a giant Joanne fabric warehouse. As I understand it and if I remember correctly they they took the building down and put it back up and it's not it's not the same anymore and I realize that I'm never I'm never going to be able to get that feeling of going there again the way that the United Artists hierarchy of theaters worked was that Ronald Park was empire and that was its own thing so they were just off doing their own deal and ua5 tended to get the more mainstream movies your men in blacks your things of that sort the big last action hero type movies and ua6 where me and gino worked they got the sort of arty kind of movies we would get like rob roy and the secret of rowan inish uh Things like that, we were the more arty-farty theater, which was cool, because back in the 90s, the, like, Miramax art movies and things of that sort, they were really booming, so our theater was, it was really, uh, you know, it was really big and it was really doing good, and UA5 was really big and doing good as well, while Cottingtown Theater was, it was kind of the black sheep of the UA family. They would get the, they would get, like, the third-rate movies, the ones that no one expected to do good, but still they had like they had like a special charm the the Cottingtown mall was also it was a bit way from the other other theaters UA5 and UA 6 were within like two or three blocks of each other and the managers there were like always in constant communication whereas Cottingtown was far enough away that it didn't get caught up in that you know, manager visit grind and they were able to, they were able to do their own thing a bit more, which, which kind of fit in with the -the off-the-wall sort of movies they were getting at the time. They were also the oldest of the buildings, as I recall. This is just, this is me being, you know, presumptuous because even if it wasn't the oldest, it appeared to be the oldest, it was a bit run down, a bit tattered, but it gave it this, like, this real interesting demeanor, the... The lobby of Cotting Town Cinemas had a fountain in it, which I've always always thought was interesting and unique. And it had a it had like a double snack bar gimmick that I hadn't seen before. Like as you come in, there was the main snack bar and then they had the fountain, and the fountain was long and thin, and it would go over into the other side of the theater where they had a second snack bar. the second snack bar. Usually wasn't open, but it was interesting that they had it over there. You know, they had it at all because usually theaters, they have just the one. This would have had two. I only ever saw it open a few times, a few, a few very rare instances. I remember being over there one time and they, they're playing this movie called The Show. It was a, it was a hip hop concert movie and I went to see it. And the, the opening day showings of this for whatever reason were, were gigantic, we, we went to see it, like, at seven in the, in the evening, let's say, like, the main event, the main event showing, and there were, like, a zillion billion other people, too, it was completely unexpected to me, I thought that maybe, like, maybe a few hip-hop heads might show up to see it, but this was, like, a jam-packed thing, and I was watching the, the manager, who at the time was this guy, Sonny, that I was friends with, he was, like, in a, in a panic, going, open, open side two, open side two, and he sent, like, a rush crew over there to, like, hastily, uh, open up the, the second snack bar to, you know, serve, serve the extra people that were all showing up to see the show. That was a fun time. The show was a good movie. I, I remember seeing people were even like letting dudes in through the side door, which wasn't something you see a lot in Santa Rosa. People might like skip from theater to theater, but you don't see a lot of people holding the back door, letting people in that way. It's not, not a common problem we have. I don't, I don't know if I ever saw anybody doing that the entire time I worked over at UA6. I must have, must have sometime, but it wasn't enough that it even like sticks in my memory. So, Cutting Town Cinemas, man, I missed that place. I missed that place so much. It had a, a real unique vibe. I was doing a bit of research, and the theater was actually opened up like back in the 40s as a big one screen theater. It had like a 800 seat arena, but then over time they expanded to to have four screens, and as I understand it, they, they split the main auditorium into three separate auditoriums, and then at another time, they added, they added a fourth to make it, you know, Cottingtown Cinema 4. I really, I enjoyed having it around because I want, I want variety. I want there to be more screens. So the more screens that there are, the more movies that they can play. It's not that they're ever playing every movie that came out that week. If you go on like Rotten Tomatoes, you'll see there is like 20, 25, sometimes 30 movies coming out each week. And the more screens you have, the more the more movies you can see. And when, when Cottingtown went down, that was, you know, that was four less movies that you got to see. Cottingtown was it was always under the threat of being closed because they got They got the movies that UA5 and UA6 didn't want. They got the also-ran movies, which was... Which was sometimes the cool movies. Not always, but a lot of times, you know, it was the cool movies. And they were always under the threat of closure because they just weren't selling enough tickets. And it was expected that the UA United Artists was gonna... They were gonna shut it down. But at one time, they got... They got like a smash. They got a movie that killed it and was able to keep them open for a while. The movie. The movie that I speak of is a movie known as Pulp Fiction. I remember working in the theater game at the time, and the movie Pulp Fiction was a gigantic surprise. It probably should have been at UA Six because it was like a Miramax R.D. movie, but for for whatever reason, the people who decided on the movies sent it off to the to the third run, Cottingtown Cinema, and the movie just did gigantic business. And not only did it do gigantic business, it did gigantic business for a long time. It was it kind of picked up slowly, but the word of mouth word of mouth started and people started going and there were sellouts like a couple months after the movie came out and the sellouts continued and they continued and they continued. I recall they expanded it and they had it like two two screens at once and they were both selling out. People were seeing the movie like two, three, four times. It was it was a real sensation, and it was big enough that it kept Cottingtown cinema rolling for a long time after that. Of my two big memories of Cottingtown, I think that well, I'll start with the one that is my second favorite, and then we'll move on to the one that is my favorite. They had a special employees-only showing of the movie. I don't know why they thought that this was the movie that they should get everybody together for, but what they would do is they would get a movie every once in a while and they would open it the day before it came out and they would do it you know for employees only and they kind of they kind of rotated around from the different movie theaters sometimes it'd be at u a five other times u a six but this one this one was at Coddingtown, and they they were really right about people wanting to see this because it was jam packed it was in the big arena at Coddingtown and when they would do the event, one of the managers, either Marsha or Marianne, would go up to the front and they would they would do like an intro. First, they would give like a like a real generous thanks to all the employees and all all the hard work that we do, and then they would give like a little brief intro to the movie. They would kind of break it down like, "And today we got a special presentation for you—a movie movie we all know you're dying to see." They would really ham it up like they were. They were, you know, Bruce Buffer, or Michael Buffer, even better, out there. And they would really ham it up and, like, and today the movie is going to be. And just as they got to that moment, Gino Vega screamed out, Brute clean!" And the place blew up. Dudes were just like... Hanging from the rafters, swinging around. People were throwing buckets of popcorn. It was, it was pandemonium running wild. All thanks to, all thanks to a Broomtang Clan member representing and screaming it right at, right at the pinnacle, pinnacle of her, of her speech. It was, it was terrific. I don't even think dudes knew what the Broomtang Clan was. It's only like a UA6 thing, but still, it was fantastic. The crowd was, the crowd was going wild and then, Marsha or Marianne or whoever it was said Mortal Kombat and they started the movie and the movie starts off and people are still just throwing popcorn swinging Twizzlers around it was it was terrific you know this should have been the best of the Cottingtown Town memories so I'm going to I'll, I'll sum up the other one I got to go sit on the roof one time with the manager uh Sonny and my friend Tim we sat up there looked over the side looked at the stars and we had a nice nice chill time that's not a that's a good memory. It's definitely good, but it's not as good as the time Gino Vega represented the Broom clan during the big showing of Mortal Kombat. No. I got these backwards. So enjoy that. Have a good time. We're going to we're gonna stop talking about, about Cottingtown. It's not gonna get it's not gonna get any any better than that, but I do I do regret not going to Cottingtown more when it was here, so that my memories of the place were We're a bit better. I just... I stuck to... I stuck to my area. stuck to UA6. I stuck to UA5. And I have... I have deep, deep regrets in that regard. So let me... Let me dig into the VHS vault. And we'll think about... Uh... Another place that is now long gone. This episode... This episode is just sadness and sorrow. And I apologize. But hopefully... Hopefully you're getting a kick out of hearing about some of these places. And getting a kick out of hearing me be sad about these places. Let me... Let me find that tape. Got it right here. Slide it right in. This is a great ad. You're going to like it. It's a classic ad from Sonoma County history. You're going to dig it a lot. I'll be back in a sec. Time or day in the sun. and if you want a thrill that you the and now Woody and friends continues with Spiderman. winds or water you are gonna get wet over over the summer and spring of of time of the year you would hear that song like. Like, incessantly, you would hear it on the radio. You would hear it on, like, later you would hear it on cable. You know how sometimes cable would have local ads? You would hear it on there, and then you would hear it on TV50, which was our Santa Rosa channel. I I miss TV50. TV50 got bought out by a Spanish-language channel many years ago. TV50 was, they were the best. They had a local news show every single day that covered what was going on in Santa Rosa and they had local ads. And while, while their programming was not the best, they played a lot of like Hogan's heroes and Frasier. I love Lucy. They would play a movie every once in a while. Their programming wasn't the best, but the news, the news was terrific with local anchor Ed Bebout. I, I miss that so bad. There's only one television news source for the real Northern California. Only one source for local television news. From the fastest-growing television station in Northern California, this is News 50. There is just, there's nothing like local news and local commercials. And the local commercial you would hear the most was this Windsor Waterworks commercial. They would just play it non-stop. The more you heard it, the more you wanted to go to Windsor Waterworks, the home of the home of the Doom Flume. On one side of Santa Rosa, you're flanked by Ronard Park, where Empire Cinema was. But on the other side, you're flanked by Windsor. It is you could be in Windsor from where I live in maybe ten minutes. And on the way to Windsor was Windsor Waterworks. It was nearby, which was terrific. And not only was like the proximity amazing because now the The nearest water park is like three hours away, but not only was the proximity terrific, the actual place was terrific. It was just so delightfully old school. They had a big you know, the big water slide set up with, if I'm thinking right, there were four slides. One of them was the famous Doom Flume. On three of the slides, you would use a mat. When you went down, you could either go down on your back, feet first with the mat, or you could grab the mat and go head first. A lot of like, the more daring dudes would do kind of a run and leap with the mat into into the water slide. And then the fourth slide was for, like, inner tubes. Or if you had a raft, you could go down that way on slide number four. They also played, like, 80s music all the time. Even when it wasn't... Even when it was the 80s, they must have, have had, like, an 80s sampler. The way that they would get the music around was the... The old style, like telephone pole with the megaphone type of speakers up on the top, and then over near the area where they had the pool, they had a like a big speaker system up on on a pole. The the water slides were were of course you know you you had to go up to get get to the slides, and this I recall it was blue like the 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 ladder setup, or stairs, rather. The was all blue and the slides were blue, and as you went up you could kinda you would dip off to one side and go on this slide, or dip off on the other side, and then if you made it all the way up to the top, you could ride the mighty Doom Flume. I I don't think the Doom Flume was all that doomy. There was nothing any more scary about it than any of the other ones. They were all pretty fun. I I think water sliding is so much fun and I haven't done it in in such a long time. The last time I did it was I think it must have been 8 years ago or 7 years ago when we went to Hawaii. We went to a we went to a water park there and that was fun. But back in the day of Windsor Waterworks, I was I was water sliding all the time. We would go fairly frequently. I don't think that it was It wasn't like an everyday kind of thing, but over the course of the summer, you would go a few times. Summer is what, like just over two months of vacation time when you're in school. And you would go, it seemed, maybe a couple times, three times a month sometimes. You could count on like a trip with your folks, and then we could count on a trip with like my uncle and my cousin. And then somewhere along the line, you would always have a third trip with a friend of some sort and it was just a delightful time water sliding is so neat when you're going down you're you're moving so fast and the water the water is whipping right in your grill and it just makes it seem like all the faster it's really neat and i I dig when i'm going down i like to like cut into the walls and see if i could try to go try to go sideways and then the moment when you hit the pool that's at the bottom is so cool because you would try to like pull up on your mat or angle your mat so that you could keep skadooching along the top of the water as long as you could. Some dudes could take it all the way down to the edge. I I wasn't very good at it. I would get like a little bit of skadooch and then you know, slowly sink into the water to where I, was, where I was running and it always felt like you had to he had to leave as quickly as possible because the, you know, the lifeguard fool up top would be looking down, waiting for you to leave the pool before he could give the signal to the next fool to come down. Some some of the lifeguards didn't pay as much attention to that as some of the other ones. They would let people come down, so you'd have to really, really skadooch out of there. You might get, you know, kicked to the back of the neck by somebody careening wildly on their mat. Besides the the Doom Flume and the other the other flumes that weren't as Doomy, they they had a bunch of swimming pools there, as I recall. I don't I don't really recall the the number. It may have only been one giant pool. I I'm starting to lose the memories of Windsor Waterworks, which is which is which is a bit sad. I haven't I hadn't been there in in quite a while. They had the pools and they had uh, volleyball that people would get into. They had like a picnic area. They had a snack bar, and they also, they also had an arcade. I don't think that I spent a lot of time there. I didn't bring, I didn't bring a lot of quarters with me. I came to, I came to ride the flumes, and I, I would try to get as many flumes in as I could. It was, that was always going to be a strenuous day. You knew that when you went to Windsor Waterworks, that you were really going to be, you were going to get a workout. You got to go up these stairs like a million billion times, and. The amount of times you spend in the stair area, as opposed to going down, down the slides, it's not even, it's not even close. As, as my memory recalls, you would go up and it would be like a five or 10, sometimes 15 minute wait between rides, which isn't, that's not terrible. I was talking to a pal of mine about this place a while back and this guy, this guy had a better memory about this than I did. His his family had a seasoned pass and he actually he actually could remember the names of the slides and i i think I'll, i think i'm going to share them with you this is this is something that i don't remember at all i just remember the flume the doom flume he was telling me that each of the individual slides had had a different name and they were they were as such there was the intertube slide that was called robin's Foley. and then there was a, a like a blue enclosed slide that was called excalibur and then there was another enclosed inner tube run, and that was called King Richard's Run. And then there was there was a small slide for kids. I don't remember the I don't remember the whole Excalibur theme. They didn't, as far as I recall, they didn't play that up at uh, at all. They didn't have you know like a medieval theme of any sort. It was just kind of a water park with with a trailer park attached. When I say trailer park, I mean. I mean, like a camper park where people, you know, bring their RVs and sometimes, you know, they have an extended stay. Other times they're just there for camping. I guess you, I guess you call that a campground. At any rate, Windsor Waterworks is, it's no longer with us. Back in, I think it was, I think it was 2004, a a kid drowned on, on a school trip. Every year at the at the middle school, Rincon Valley middle School that's that's where I went you would you would take a, a school trip to Windsor Waterworks. It was like an end of the year sort of thing and it was fun. everyone enjoyed it, everybody looked forward to it. But then in 2004 a kid a kid passed away. It's really sad It's sad to think that somebody lost their lost their life in such a you know place we have such fond memories of and the you know the family of course had had lawsuits they felt that the uh, lifeguards. Weren't on duty or whatever. And the lawsuits closed down Windsor Waterworks. And it's still... When you drive by, it's still there. You can see remnants. There is... There is the Windsor Waterworks sign. And for the longest times, the... The slides were still there. You would drive by and you would look over and you would see the slides. But they... They were bone dry. I always... I always wanted to sneak in over there. I think that it would be kind of cool to be one of those, like, urban adventurer dudes who sneaks into abandoned places. But I'm just not really the type to, like, bring bolt cutters and cut through fences and sneak in. Even though even though it would be dope, and in retrospect, I do I do wish that I would have at least, like, at some point walked over and looked at the fence. You know, I could have just, like, walked over and looked in and got some final glances, you know, from close up before the place eventually Eventually fell down. That's, that's such a bummer. I, I do regret that I should have, could have brought my camera, got some cool pics, and then, but hey man, who knew that like so many years in the future I would be sitting here recording myself talking about Windsor Waterworks and that I would be dying for photos. Who knew? I guess somebody must have, some, some forward-thinking futurist at any rate. Let's, let's get going and we will, we'll take a look at the next The next place that I miss, that is no longer with us, this... This is also a water place, but it's different. I'm going to talk all about it. Be back in a second. Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Saturday night at 8 on KFTY. Television north of the gate. That commercial has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about next. I, I just wasn't able to find anything that that related to this place, the place that, the place that we are going to talk about next is Oak Park Swim and Racket Club, but first, that, that bumper for Deep Space Nine, just about, it just about brings a tear to my eye, I am really reticent of that period of time, if you listen to the, the Toys R Us report about the top five Atari games of all the times, you, you might recall me mentioning a place called the Temple of the Waxy Stump, which was which was a hangout that me and my cousins and the lady that's now my wife made in in the backyard. It's where we would kick it and play Atari. The The way that this commercial reminds me of that is my cousin and I, he he was living at our house. We would we would watch that Deep Space Nine. He wasn't into Star Trek at all and I I was then and am now a bit of a uh, Trekkie or Trekker or somebody who likes to watch Star Trek. And he wasn't so much into it. So these were all new to him. And we spent a lot of time watching TV50 reruns of, of Star Trek. They would play a couple in the afternoon of Next Generation. And then they would play Deep Space Nine on the weekends. Anyhow, anyway, let's... Let's get into, let's get into the current time, the now, or, or the then, I guess. <laughs> we're, we're going to get, let's get to the then. Let's, let's get back to the then. Oak Park Swim and Racket Club, or just Oak Park, everybody just called it Oak Park, is, was a, like a private pool, swimming pool, tennis club in, in my neighborhood of Rincon Valley. It is directly across from the middle school, and... Once a year, the school would take a trip over to Oak Park, and that was that was the only time that I ever got to go. My family didn't have a membership. Only the only the more uppity up kids in Ricken Valley at the time had a membership to Oak Park. And when it started to get hot toward the end of the year, there would be like a pickup spot in front of the school. They would walk over from Oak Park. A couple of the lifeguards would walk over. And they would walk the kids over to Oak Park where they would stay until their parents picked them up. They had like an after school kind of deal. And these kids, they would change into their swimsuits after school. And they would be waiting to go to Oak Park with, you know, swim trucks and a shirt, you know, with a towel. And they would go across the street and jump immediately into the pools while the rest of us have-nots would only, only get to watch. The place seemed, it was like, it was mythical, To me, I was only able to go there during the school trips and they didn't, they didn't necessarily have one every year. I'm thinking that it may have only been two years that I was over at the junior high that I got to go to Oak Park. So the place had this, it had this status of, it was just, it was held in such high regard. I, the times I went there, it seemed like such a neat place. They had an enormous, like a ginormous pool with a high dive and a regular dive and then they also had an indoor swimming pool and the outdoor pool was heated the place was pretty swanky for the time not full on swank like 70 swank which was deaf and i dig it it had that upper upper vibe and when you when i got to go there it just it was like shangri-la man it was like just some place that i knew knew i would never get to go eventually though we moved off away from Rinkin Valley for a while. We lived in another part of Santa Rosa before me and me and the wife and the daughter moved back to, to Rinkin Valley. And Oak Park was near where we lived. And one day we were driving by and I said, let's go in there. Let's just go and see how much it costs to, to join. So we dipped in and it turned out that it was $500 a year. And we thought about it and we said how do we join? Let's just join. So we signed up and we started going to Oak Park. And I was, I was tickled pink to be in this place. I was just, it was so exciting and it was so fun to me. And since the time I was Engineer junior high now, they haven't gotten a makeover and it was, it was a bit run down from what it was before, but it was still great because it was It was captured in time. It was captured, like, right in the 80s. It still had 80s decorations, and the snack bar seemed to have 80s snacks. It was just like a real slice of time frozen there in a block of ice. And I enjoyed going there so much, we would just find reasons to go down. We would go down and hang out and read magazines and sit in, like, these these lounge chairs. We We would just go down and get, you know, a popsicle. At the snack bar, this place became like a big, a big part of our lives. Like a real big park. We would, me and the daughter would go on Saturdays. Every Saturday, guaranteed, we would go there and either swim in the indoor pool and kick it. Or if it was the season, we would go, you know, to the outdoor pool. And we would sit, sit there and swim and go off the high dive. I, I dig going off a high dive so much. I can't go and dive like first style. I'm not that... That much of a risk taker. But I do like to bust a cannonball or a can opener. I got... I got a few fun dives. I don't do, like, flippity-flips. But I can definitely... Definitely bust a tight can opener. And get, get some, you know, some props from the... From the kids. Plus, when I cannonball, I make a gigantic... Gigantic splash. And the kids at the pool really dig that. We have... We have a lot of good fun on the high dive. They also had a playground out... Out behind the pool that was... It was called Fort Oak Park, and it was like an old-timey Western fort, like the kind that they would build in Oklahoma and defend against the Native folks. It was really neat. It had, it was made out of like telephone poles, and you could go in there and go, you know, defend the fort. It was a lot, a lot of fun. Really neat thing. It was also, also a bit on the rundown side. Oak Park was, Oak Park was on the decline when we were members but the decline was still terrific it was still still a great place the the main attraction i think for oak park was their synchronized swimming team and i know that synchronized swimming is a sport that people people kind of look down their nose at and i i probably was one of those people but spending time at oak park you get you get a lot of exposure to these synchronized swimmers and you see that This is a pretty rough sport, not not rough in the sense of contact or physical damage, but it's super strenuous. And the girls, the gals who were down there on the squad were they were super fit and they were working super hard and they would put on these uh, synchronized swimming shows. The Oak Park would have a few big picnic events of the year, like the the Fourth of July one was always a big one. And the the synchronized swimming girls would put on a patriotic synchronized swimming show, Sink Swim Show, and it was, that was always fun. You, the difficulty in synchronized swimming is, well, it's a lot of million things, but you gotta keep your feet moving the whole time. Like, you hear the joke about the duck who appears so calm on the surface, but underneath, you know, he's, he's swimming like crazy. That's what it's like for Sink Swim. These girls are, they're swimming like crazy, and... You know, you get a respect for it if you're exposed to it, and it sounds silly, but that was that was the main thing. They would get you know people from all around the nation to come and train. the The lady who owned the place was a at one time national level synchronized swimming coach, and she she kept the pool open so that she could you know coach these girls from around the nation, and you know from Santa Rosa as well. They were called the Aqua Stars if i if i remember correctly the the 4th of July picnic that i just talked about a second ago that was that was i think what i would call the biggest event of the year for Oak Park it was free of course with your membership and you could come down and bring your family and this was a time where you could bring guests you were you were allowed like a couple guest passes is a week or a month and then during the big events you could you could also get in a guest i think it was like 2 or 3 dollars or something some nominal fee like that and they they would pack the place and play you know patriotic music the whole time they would decorate with flags and red white and blue banners and then what they would do that was super fun is they would get all the kids in the pool every kid there and the pool would be just jam packed with With these little kids, and then they would come out with coffee cans full of pennies. They would get all the lifeguards, all the aqua stars, and all, you know, the luminaries of the place. And they would each get a coffee can like a Sanka can full of pennies. and they would they would toss them all in the pool. And the kids would they would spend the next few hours picking pennies off the bottom of the pool. And then after a while, they would let let the grown-ups in the pool, too. And it was, it became, like, quite a challenge. The, the bottom of the pool where they had the high dive, this was one of those super high high dives, was the bottom was, I'm thinking, like 15 feet down, and there would be pennies down there, and the, the grown-ups would, you know, you try to show off and, like, dive down in and get a penny off the bottom. I'll tell you, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to get down that deep in the pool. As, I, as I've been taught, you, you uh, have to release your breath as you're going down you have to blow air out to hold you down so that you can make it down to that depth but here's the here's the the here's the hook you're letting your air out so you're also like dying of breath at the time so who knows if you can make it down to get the penny and then when you get down there you have to kind of hover and reach and try to you know get a penny off the bottom of the pool with your fingers it's not as not as easy as it sounds that was was such a terrific time the penny dive 4th of july event was one of my favorite things of the year i have such fond memories of it 2.0 would come home with like a whole like a whole bucket full of pennies or something it was so much fun each kid would get you know five or six dollars worth of pennies and they would all have a great time and have a great memory of it the 4th of july penny dive we would go to Oak Park and swim all the time. It was just like a regular part of our life. They also, they had a weight room with one of those old school weight machines where it was a big, it was sort of like a, a cube with different weight stations on all the sides. And it was the kind of weights where it was, you know, they were on cables. And you would, you know, put a peg, a peg into the level of weight you wanted to lift up, and they had like a leg press and like a pull down and all that stuff on this old school machine. the The stereo in the weight room was one of those console kind that had a a record player and a radio and an eight track, and it also had a decorative a decorative front. There was a couple like workout records that they had that you could listen to if you wanted to. I I never did. I hardly ever go in there. You had to go to a training course to be allowed to use the machine. So I, I didn't want to do that. It seemed seemed like something I wasn't into. So I, I would sneak in every once in a while. It wasn't really sneaking. It was just open. And I would just go in and pump some iron Schwarzenegger style every once in a while. Eventually, though, Oak Park, like every other place that's on this episode, spoiler alert, uh, shut down. What What happened was the... The lady who was the coach of the Aqua Stars passed away and without her and without the allure of, you know, being an Aqua Star, the place, the place eventually shut down. It wasn't, wasn't like a giant explosion. It just sort of fizzled away. And now Oak Park still stands. It's still there. I walk by it every day when I walk the dog. It's the... It's the polka stop that I hit most frequently, Oak Park Swim and Racquet Club, and you can still see it there, and I still run into the daughter of the owner. She was the one who handled the day-to-day running of Oak Park. The The mother who was the owner was the coach, and she was the star, but this this lady who was her daughter was the one who actually ran the place. She was the one you would talk to if something was going on. She was the one who would sign you in when you came in. She was the one who was always... In the snack shack serving up hot dogs. And I see her... I see her all the time. And we talk about Oak Park. And it's... It's a bummer. There was... There was a movement a while ago... That the... The... Rink Valley Schools was going to buy... The land that Oak Park was going to be... That Oak Park is on. And that they were going to put up an elementary school. I, myself... I was all for it. Because I believe that... Eventually... The land that Oak Park is on is going to get sold, and it's either going to be houses. They jam houses and apartments and condos and townhouses in every square inch of Rincon Valley. When I first moved here, it was wide open. Now it's a lot of houses. And this is Oak Park's on a giant parcel of land. It's tucked away in the far back corner, but the whole entire front is vacant. I love walking by there. It's beautiful. It's just a wide open field, and there are deer. live there and you can see them walking around it's great and oak park is in the way back corner and eventually they are going to put something on that space i hate it but they are and to me a school seems preferable because for the most part when you're going by a school it's empty they are there during the day but that's the time of the day that you're away when you come back it's empty and seeing an empty school is better than seeing a bunch of track houses. That's just me. I don't know. It's going to be something. You got to decide what's better, what's worse. I I miss Oak Park a lot. I miss anytime a place that houses and activity goes away. There are only so many places that you could go and do stuff. There aren't as many arcades as there used to be. There aren't as many roller rinks. There aren't as many just bowling alleys. Just Anything as there used to be and anytime one of these goes away it doesn't seem as if a new one pops up it's probably just too much insurance involved too much fees involved just too much involved with running a place that can make people happy and that you have to work toward the goal of amusement as opposed to just you know popping up a bunch of apartments or a bunch of townhouses I don't know let's Let's move forward on what is turning out to be a dreary, depressing episode of This Boring Life where we will find the final place that I used to go a lot that I now don't go to at all because it's gone. you're not getting Full Wrestling Illustrated magazines, you're missing out on plenty of action and excitement from the entire wrestling world. Each month, Pro Wrestling Illustrated brings you 73 power-packed pages of match coverage, interviews, special features, exclusive ratings, and the famous Pro Wrestling Illustrated full-color centerfold. The next and final place on my list of places isn't... it isn't wrestling magazines, but it is the place where I used to get my wrestling magazines. This place was known as... Sawyer's News, and Sawyer's News was a, a ginormous, awesome magazine stand that also had candy and cigars, comic books, newspapers from around the world and around the nation. They also had a side of the store with, like, gag gifts and novelties and cards and stuff, but I, I hardly ever went over there. I mostly stayed on the, on the magazine side. I have always been a very avid magazine reader. Even now I get subscriptions to like five or six different magazines. I just like magazines. I like the format. I like I like the smaller size publication with shorter articles that is like focused in on one area. I used to I used to read wrestling magazines like a maniac, Pro Wrestling Illustrated the Wrestler, Inside Wrestling. All of the all of the magazines that would be be best classified as after mags. Bill After was the name of the dude who was the like the editor and chief of this whole this whole group of wrestling magazines and I would read all of them. They were they were in the idea that wrestling was real and they were writing upon it as if it was a real sport. I used to eat these up like crazy. I would read four or five different ones a month and this was this was the only place in town where you could get them. So I started going there at an early age. And I kept going there through through the years and through the different eras of my life. For a while, I would get all of my, my hip-hop magazines. That's where I would get The Source. And I would get Rap City. And I would get Murder Dog. And I would get the Beastie Boys magazine. Grand Royal. I'd pick all these up at Sawyer's because they... They had a very diverse, very nice selection of publications, and then I would eventually start picking up like my Maxims and my FHMs and all that stuff when I was when I was in that mode. They also had books. I would buy books there. And I I think that culturally, Sawyers was it was the center of downtown. Fourth Street is the main downtown street of my my town and sawyers was right there in a prime location right next to the the last record store and directly across from the library and when you were when you were like a young dork hanging out you would spend a lot of time at the record store buying like used used hip-hop tapes and then you know you might dip into the library and check some stuff out see what was what was going on over there, who might be hanging out over there. And then after that, it was it was right over to Sawyer's to, at the time, maybe not buy magazines, but at the very least to hang out and read magazines. I spent a lot of time in Sawyer's News reading magazines. It was a favorite pastime of mine. They opened early because they were a newsstand, and they stayed open late, which was fantastic because not a lot of places in Santa Rosa stay open very late. A lot of places close at six, some places close at five. If you stay open to nine, that's considered late and Sawyers would stay open until midnight. So when you're when you're in that like eighteen to twenty one range and you're kinda you're kinda bumming around and you can't go to bars, you're just sort of walking around downtown being a dingleberry, any any open light is a treat and when the open light finds amazing content like they had at at Sawyer's News, it was always just such a delight. They had the most fantastic selection of candy as well. Whereas, whereas most places will have like the one rack. With the one selection, they would have like a triple rack. And they had just every candy bar you could imagine. And some that, that you couldn't. And out by the back door, it had a double entrance. You could enter on one side and then also on fifth street and if you came in the fifth street entrance they had a big rack full of free publications and you would see this really neat really diverse selection of like hippie newspapers and like auto part magazines you know the kind where they would sell auto parts and like the the penny saver and the penny shopper as well as like punk rock zines and local music zines this was back in the day when dudes were like really zining it up and you would find dudes would just drop their zines off at Sawyer's and it was always worth going through the Fifth Street side just to see if you could find any kind of, any kind of neat zines. I was really into that too. I never like did any work for a zine. I think I may have like submitted some articles or, you know, editorials here and there, but I don't think that I ever did any sort of like significant work. I know that, I know that I never published a zine of my own. It just, wasn't my thing but I have ultimate respect for dudes who did that it's a really neat culture I bet you I bet you would still exist today it's just not in my eye being you know like a like an old coot like I am at this point but I would really be interested in seeing some zines that kids are kids are publishing nowadays Sawyers also they also featured cigars they had this really really big selection of that remember when that was like the thing like cigar aficionado and like girls were smoking cigars and fancy cigars was really really in high fashion they they kind of they picked up on that and made the like upper crust cigars available to Santa Rosa I the day that I turned 18 the first thing that I did maybe not the first thing I imagine I did other things but one of the things I did that you could now do when you're 18 is I went over to Sawyer's and I bought a cigar I think I got like a Macanudo I don't know what I got a Philly Blunt uh I have no idea what I got but I spent a few dollars and I bought a cigar and I I smoked it in the in the back parking lot on the 5th street entrance of Sawyer's and I thought that I thought I was super dapper like Prime Minister Pete Nice but I imagine I'd looked like a super doof sitting in a parking lot smoking a cigar with with a couple losers the the backside of Sawyer's also had their dumpster and this is going to sound, if you're not into doing this, and if you've never done this, it's going to sound weird. But they, they had a magazine dumpster. And at the time, they didn't leave it locked. So you could just kind of pop it open, and they would, it would be full of magazines from the month before. What they would do is, you know, they rip the covers off, and they send the covers back to the magazine publishers for a, for a refund. But they just tossed the magazines in the back, so... If you could find it when it was open, you could reach in and like grab a handful of magazines when you're you know, you kinda of dork who hangs out in parking lots smoking cigars, a bunch of free magazines is quite a treat and I, I I went through this like unemployed period. I guess everybody did. I didn't I didn't really know how to find a job, I think is what it was. I wasn't aware of just just the way that you would do it. The way that you could present yourself. I knew that you went in and that you filled out an application and that's how you got the job. I would try, but I wasn't smart enough to realize you have to present yourself in a certain way. So I, I would sometimes apply for jobs, but I would never get them. I was just, I wasn't all there yet as far as being like a finished product. And I would spend a lot of times like, dorking around behind Sawyer's News parking lot, smoking cigars, grabbing free magazines. It was, just, just a way to get by during that that period of my life. Eventually, you know, I got. I got on the straight and narrow, and I got on the right path. And at this time, Sawyer's became just a really fantastic resource because I would spend a fair amount of money on magazines. The place that we live, we got free cable and we had free electricity as well. So I had I had a lot of spare change around around a certain time of my life in the the early twenties, and we would spend that extra money on magazines. I was down there buying like five, six, seven. Like British music magazines at a time, and that you know they could get to be like a pretty pity. They're like eight ninety nine, nine ninety nine each. The kind that would come with like a, a CD of unsigned bands. I was into that like pretentious unsigned band kind of lifestyle for a while. I think that I think that we all go through through that phase, and I did discover a bunch of bands that I like. So it's not like it's not like it was a giant waste of time. Sawyer's was so. So nice. They would play like jazzy sort of music. And they had a coffee stand inside of there that served really delicious dark coffee. I like a dark, like flavorful roast. I'm not pretentious about it, but that's, that's what I prefer. I like strong coffee. And they made a strong cup of coffee and the smell of the cart would, you know, fill up the whole store and it had that already great smell of paper and magazines and newspapers, which they, they have a very distinct smell. Newspaper has a smell. Magazines have a smell. And when you mix it together with the coffee, it was just such a neat environment. We, we live in this area. And one of the things we do in this area is we spot Tom Waits. Tom Waits, the, the famous singer, somewhat famous eccentric singer. He lives, he lives over in the next town and he, he, he hangs out in Santa Rosa a lot he's in Santa Rosa all the time and spotting him is just like something to do and I would I would always spot dude at Sawyer's getting coffee I actually I got to talk to him once I was I was in line he was in line already and I got in line behind him I didn't realize it was him it was just like a dude dude in a hat and he he turns around and he goes hey and I looked up I go hey you know it's, it's Tom Waits and he goes is the coffee here any good? I go, yeah, it's really, it's really dark. It's really strong. It's, it's, it is good. And he goes, cool, man. Thanks. And he ordered a coffee and he was, you know, in front of me and he took a sip and he turned and he goes, Oh, it is good. And he walked out and that was, that was my best meeting with Tom Waits, but I've seen him, I've seen him quite a few times. One time we were, we were driving in the car and, uh, the wife was driving and I had, uh, Ursa, the wonder dog with me. And, she was she was sitting on my lap and looking out the out the window, and we got up to an intersection, and she was looking out the window, and I saw somebody turn and look at her and make a face like, what the heck? There's a dog in that car. And I looked, and it was Tom Waits, and I was like, hey, there he is again. Uh, one thing that's kind of funny is my wife, the old wife, has never, ever had a Tom Waits sighting. I've had quite a few. Everybody I know has had a few, and she has never had one and it's funny because she is a Tom Waits fan. Me myself, I think he's alright. I don't I'm not gonna play any Tom Waits in the house. It's not not my kind of thing. I respect him as an artist. I respect him as a respect him as a Santa Rosa dude, but she she likes his music. She has a ton of Tom Waits on her iPod. She plays it. She loves it and she's never never got to see the dude. Maybe she should have should have spent more time in Sawyers. And when I think back, we probably all should have eventually a Barnes and Nobles opened up on the corner across the street from Sawyer's. And at the time people thought they thought that this was going to spell the end for Sawyer's, but it didn't. The Sawyer's crowd stayed the Sawyer's crowd. We were keeping it real. It was kind of a anti Barnes and Nobles crowd, but then Barnes and Nobles also drew in a whole new crowd of people who didn't want to go into Sawyer's, I guess, because they were going over there getting magazines when they always get to come to Sawyer's and get magazines. Maybe they thought Maybe they thought it was too hipster, too pretentious in Sawyer's. It wasn't. It was down to earth and cool. At any rate, they started going to the Barnes and Nobles when that opened. And then over time, the the action in Sawyer's kind of, you could feel it. You could feel it wind down. And what it was, was not so much the magazines, not so much the books, not so much the coffees. It was the newspapers, the entire middle of of Sawyer's News was newspapers from all around the country, Denver, Phoenix, just you name it, just all sorts of newspapers, like literally dozens of newspapers, and people who, people who used to live in that area would come in, and they would get, you know, their daily Crab Apple Cove newspaper, or their daily, you know, Oklahoma City paper, or whatever, and that was a big part of Sawyer's News's earnings, but as as the internet got bigger and bigger and better, newspapers started just putting their news online so people didn't need to come down and buy a physical a physical copy of the Walla Walla Press Democrat. They could just read the Walla Walla news online and that that is what led to Sawyer's news eventual closing and at the time Sawyer's shut down, I was working like right across the street from there, and I would go there almost every day to buy gum or candy or just whatever when I would go on break I'd go there and get get coffee the Barnes and Nobles had a Starbucks in it and the Starbucks did start to draw people away from the Sawyer's Coffee but I was I was down for it I would still go and I'd get my coffee there and I'd get my candy there so when when the place ended up shuttering it was it was a big shock and a big big take from my life. It was something that I was doing almost literally every day, except for weekends. I would go there and then I was left with with no place to get my gum, with no place to get my mints, no place to get the occasional professional wrestling magazine or the occasional music magazine. It was just such a bummer. And I know that for people who are my age and of my ilk, it's still... It's still kind of a sore subject. When you drive by now, it's a it's a British tea house, which is, you know, I guess that's cool, man. If you like tea, that's your thing. I I really dig it, but it still has it has the facade, the front of Sawyer's News. It looks like Sawyer's News, but with like British flags and British decorations inside there. It's really it's really unsettling to me. John Sawyer was the dude who ran Sawyer's News and he's gotten into local politics. He recently was the mayor, so It's cool, you still get to see his name in the news, and you still get to drive by Sawyer's News, but I wish I could go in there one more time. I wish that I could go to all of these places just one more time, and I want that that to be the lesson from this episode. If there are places you enjoy, if there are places you dig, just take them all in. Enjoy them to the fullest. Take in the sights, take in the smells, take in the sounds, take some pictures, just... Do whatever you can do because nothing lasts forever. I thought Windsor Waterworks was a permanent thing in my life. They were always, always, always jam-packed with people. They must have been raking it in hand over fist, but now it's gone. I never saw the day when Sawyer's News would be gone. It's gone. I, everything you care about now as far as a business will more than likely someday be gone. So take it all in. While you can, enjoy it. If it's a place you've been going to all your life, go down there now. Just go down there, throw them a couple bucks, buy whatever it is they have there, and appreciate the fact that you still have these things when many of us no longer do. This has been... This has been a bit of a depressing episode, and I apologize for that, but I hope that... I hope that you get the lesson, and that you just, you know, I don't know, get something out of it. Maybe you had some fun listening to my tales. I hope you had at least a little fun listening to my tales, because I did... I did have fun recording it. It started off great. I had a lot of fun thinking about J.J. Norris, and I had a ton of fun with that Windsor Waterworks commercial. I've been singing... I've been singing that jingle for the past week since I started recording this, even... Even sooner. I think that the jingle one day popped into my head, and that was actually what what brought this whole episode out. I was just walking around and I go, da-da-da, to work, you're gonna get wet. And I started thinking about Windsor Waterworks and how much I missed it and how often I would see the commercial on TV. It's getting it's getting to be around Windsor Waterworks season. And if you would if you were to turn on T V fifty Right now, you could very well hear that. You're gonna get wet. Gonna get wet. You could. You probably would if you put on KZST or or the Fox. That was our, our rock station. We don't have it. The Fox went out of business, which was which was another bummer. That's a, another thing I miss. I miss the Fox on the radio. That was the station that would play heavy metal. That's what you'd hear, like Iron Maiden or Thin Lizzy or you know Black Sabbath. We don't have anything like that now. Our best station is The Wolf. It's like a syndicated oldie station. I mainly listen to that. I listen to The River. That's a classic rock station out of uh, out of Guernville. That one's alright. But they, they kind of play the same songs over and over and over again. We have like a throwback rap station. But they they mix in too much pop rap. Just not my thing, I guess. Uh, so, as it is, I stick to 102.7 The Wolf. They have this... They have this dude this guy who imitates Wolfman Jack and I find it I find it very unsettling. He sounds almost like Wolfman but he's talking about like Miley Cyrus and things that were things that were topical a few years ago and it's just really weird to me. Also also hearing this guy it's weird to imagine a time when Wolfman Jack was a cutting edge DJ that he was so important to the culture making that weird voice that he guest starred in all sorts of weird TV shows and movies. It's very strange. They have a dude imitating him today. Who, who would have seen the lasting power of Wolfman Jack? Why is it that Wolfman Jack is still on my radio, but I don't have Sawyer's news or Windsor waterworks. What are you going to do about it? it? at any rate, this all, this all reminds me of big yellow taxi. But Joni Mitchell I'm a big Joni Mitchell fan are you guys you guys and her I hope you are she's great Joni Mitchell Joni Mitchell never lies according to q-tip let's let's play that for a sec and then then we'll come back and we'll we'll get out of here Please don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone the paradise, put up a pocket I think I, could, uh, I think I could have just played that song and saved the entire entire time of this episode. If you if you happen to have a time machine, go back to right before you started listening to this and instead listen to Big Yellow Taxi. It's a couple of minutes long. You'll save yourself just under just under an hour and a half of your life that you can now never get back. So with that said, this is me, Icy Robots, about to hit the button to play that song by my man Kevin Zurb from over at Land. signing off for This Boring Life, number five, Lost Places. Talk to you soon. This boring, I'm boring life, I can't get I'm boring. Boring. this boring, I'm boring life, oh, this boring, I'm boring. Life. I can't get I'm boring. Boring life To this boring life I can't get money To this boring life Oh To this boring life I can't get money Boring life This has been an IC Robots Radio production. IC Robots Radio is a listener supported in day hour. If you like what we do and we make your day a little easier, please consider tossing a few bucks our way to help keep the life support running. All money collected goes to help us prepare for future space pirate attacks. Go on over to supportthereport.com for all the details. Thanks and have a great week.